We're going to begin this afternoon in John 13. <clears throat> the passage for the sermon this afternoon is John 13, 33 through 35. As I was looking through my catalog of sermons, I noticed a few years ago I preached a sermon from this very passage. And what I do from time to time is I go through uh, sermons that I preach, and I do that so I do not continually repeat myself. I have, uh, I remember on one occasion I preached a sermon while I was in Memphis, and a uh, uh, brother came up to me afterwards, he said, you've preached that before. I said, I've never preached that sermon before. I don't repeat my sermons. And he said, oh yeah, you did. So I said, well, we'll see. So I went back and was looking through all my notes, and sure enough, I found that same sermon almost word for word. And I'd sit down and put that together. And uh, uh, so anyway, it does happen. So I do that. I learn to go back and, and remind myself what I have preached. But what I also do is when I look at a passage, sometimes I'm able to look at it in a different light. I look at it, and when we read passages, almost without doubt, all of them have multiple sermons from which uh, a person can... Uh, take. And so I looked at this uh, John 13 and it's one of those passages as I can uh, consider the previous thoughts I asked a different question. I asked how was the new commandment new? I'd spoken about the new commandment the way we're to treat one another and as I looked at it this time, I said, well, exactly how is that a new commandment? What what makes that different than any other commandment? We read about love in the New Testament. We read about love in the Old Testament. But what exactly makes this new? Notice what Jesus said, verse 34. He said, a new commandment I give unto you, that you love one another as I have loved you, that you also love one another. Now, what exactly is a commandment? If we're going to consider a new commandment, well, what's a commandment in general? Well, it is a prescribed rule in accordance with that which is supposed to be done. So, if our government gives us a, a command to pay our taxes, there it is a uh, it is a prescribed rule, and it tells us how to go about paying our taxes and how we are to. Uh, carry that out in accordance with what the government has told us. Well, the same thing is true about spiritual laws. God gives us a commandment, and we are to follow it in accordance of how He wants that done. So when we look at uh, the idea of how was it new, well, let's, what about the old commandment? Let's notice what the old commandment was. It's found in Leviticus 19.18. It talks about loving your neighbor not uh, uh, mistreating your neighbor and carrying out the things that you ought to carry out in regard to your neighbor. And Jesus one time was asked, and we'll talk about it in a few more moments, but he was asked about the great laws. Well, you love the God, love God the Father, that's the greatest law, and the second one is like unto it, love your neighbor as yourself, right? That's in the old law. But when we look at the old law, we see that the love of the law embraced one's neighbor, right? The love Jesus commanded is that which includes all people. Under the Jewish law, who was your neighbor? It was the Jew, right? The Jews 
they didn't intermingle, or at least they weren't supposed to intermingle with those people who were around them. They were to stay pure, and they were to uh, live amongst themselves, right? So the law of Moses contained an edict of love, but that was discharged in the narrow view of the Jewish state. So Jesus' new commandment, it was... It was greater in breadth and width. It was greater in depth. And so it was something that was new. But we want to talk about exactly how was it new. Jesus commanded we are to love each other. And here is the caveat to that. As He loved us. That means love each other because He loved us. We might be able to say And to the extent possible, we are to love like He loved us. We're to try our best to do exactly what the Lord did in regard to loving one another. So we see that it is the motivation behind the love that makes it new. It's the motivation. Love your neighbor as you love yourself. Okay? What's the focus, really? It's on self. It's on your neighbor, right? Well, we're changing the focus. Love as I have loved you, right? The commandment to love one another is new because of the kind of love that it is. It's not a selfish love. It doesn't say, give me this if you love me. That's the kind of love the world has, right? So the title of the sermon this afternoon is just the question I asked myself. How was it new? And the new commandment to love is new because it is a sacrificing love. Let's notice that, okay? Uh, If you love your neighbor as yourself and you do not go out of your way to harm your neighbor in some way, is that necessarily a sacrificing love? Well, that's just being a good citizen, isn't it? That's not really a lot of sacrifice involved in it. I guess it could in some aspects be that way. But this is a whole new love. A sacrificing love, let's, let's learn a little something about it. Where does it begin? The sacrificing love of which Jesus spoke has its roots in the family. It begins in the family. It has to begin in the family. That's why the family is so important. It is the place where we first learn and encounter the kind of love of which Jesus spoke. A sacrificing love, a new love. Think about it this way. If one does not have love for the members of his family, how can he have love for those who hate him? See, it's that kind of love that begins in the family. Will you sacrifice for your family? Well, so you give your life for your family. That's how we learn a sacrificial love. Notice what Paul said in his letter to Rome. Paul laid out a laundry list of terrible sins in which the Gentiles had engaged. He condemned those who were without understanding, covenant breakers, without natural affection, Romans 1.31. Now, what is natural affection? Natural affection is that love that we have for our families. It's that love we have for our children, for our parents, for our siblings. It's that love that is automatic, right? You don't have to work to love your wife or, or your husband. You don't have to work to, to love your uh your children or your parents, that just comes automatically. And that's a sacrificing love, isn't it? You'd give yourself, particularly a parent, give themselves for their children, 
And when a child gets grown, they'd give themselves for their parents, wouldn't they? Of course they would. Now, without natural infect, uh, uh, affection includes those who do not have the love of family of which Jesus spoke. Here's something else Paul commanded in Ephesians 5.25. He said, Husbands, love your wives even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself forth. That sounds like the new commandment, doesn't it? That sounds exactly like what Jesus told his disciples to do, but now we see it in the marriage institution. That's a sacrificing love, isn't it? The master sees the same potential in each of us. We're to have that love. Christians are the embodiment of the mind of Jesus. Notice what Paul said, 1 Corinthians 2.16. For who hath known the mind of the Lord that he may instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. What man can instruct God? Instruct God. But God has given us His commandments and His instructions that we might know Him in as much as we're able to know Him and able to carry out His commandments. But shouldn't family love come easy? Family love comes easy. That's why we're trained in the family, right? Unless, uh, unless that natural affection is not there. If that natural affection is there, listen, you love your parents when you're growing up, right? You depend on them. You Obviously, parents love their children. That's why that's the training ground. That's what makes the family so important. But here is the problem. When our love does not grow into greater love, that's where we run into trouble. We're not able to have that love of which Jesus was speaking. Paul warned, Romans 5, beginning with verse 7, For scarcely for a righteous man will one die, yet peradventure for a good man some would even dare to die. But God commendeth his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. That is the embodiment of a sacrificial love. When love matures... It becomes sacrificing. A proper love will become sacrificing. Can children understand the extent of a sacrificing love when they're small? No, not really. I don't think they can really understand that. Can a person, uh, can a child understand the extent of uh, a sacrificial love of the parents? Until they get grown? What's, not until they get grown, really, right? Until they become responsible. And what about this? You really begin to understand it when you have children of your own, don't you? You really begin to understand, oh, okay. You didn't know you could love quite as hard as you can until you're holding a child in your arms, do you? See, that's the thing about a sacrificial love. When love matures, it becomes sacrificial. It's learned in the family. That's very important. And the world will see that in the lives of the faithful. That's what makes it sacrificial, right? It's a common occurrence to see a Christian put the needs of others before themselves, isn't it? That's, that is one of the identifying things about a Christian. What makes that happen? Sacrificial love. Giving oneself of uh, themselves or their means or their time or whatever. There's a story told about a Christian doctor who went to China many years ago. 
And in the process of building hospitals, he had an opportunity to preach the gospel to those folks who uh, were in that area. And so after years of hard work and teaching the gospel, uh, part of the uh, guerrilla army or a guerrilla army came by and destroyed the hospital. And with it, all those years of hard work. Well, what what is the normal uh, reaction to that, right? Well, his reaction was uncommon. He was treated hatefully. He was mistreated. But what he did was he followed that army and he ministered to their wounds and at the same time he was able to teach some of them the gospel. And so what happened was that came came to the attention of the army's leader and he asked the question, he said, why does this man do this? Well, one woman answered him and he said, or she said, there's only one answer. He must be a Christian. Or he wouldn't do that. Because that's a sacrificial love. That's agape love, brethren, that, that Paul talks about in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Uh, the love that, that transcends emotion. Okay? Uh, the general then replied to that saying, if that is what it means to be a Christian, I would like to be one. I think that's what, what Jesus was talking about in our uh, passage. People will see your reaction and your interaction with each other and they will know that you are His disciples. Now, whether that story is true or not, we may not know. But I know the principle behind it is certainly true. Verse 35, By this shall all men know that you are my disciples, if you have love one for another. So we see clearly how Jesus put into practice His as I have loved you love, don't we? He went to the cross. While we were yet sinners, He demonstrated His love toward us. That, brethren, is a sacrificial love. He explained it this way, John fifteen thirteen: Greater love hath no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. Christ's commandment to love was new because it was a sacrificing love and because it was a purifying or is a purifying love. That's our second point. What's the purpose of purifying? What does, what does that mean? If we're going to purify something, that means we're, we cleanse it, right? It's a cleansing love or it's a love that cleanses. Let's, turn, let's return to Paul here as he explained why husbands were to love their wives like Christ loved the church. Let's, let's listen to him. Uh, Ephesians 5 beginning verse 26. He said that he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the word, that he might present it to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. It's his love that does the cleansing, isn't it? Well, it's his blood that does the cleansing, but what's, how did we, uh, how were we able to come into contact with his blood? Because of his love. Remember, that's a sacrificial love. His great love is the source of the cleansing, right? Without His love, He wouldn't have given Himself on the cross. But because He did, He is able to have a church, the church, the one church that is without blemish because it's been cleansed. That's what Paul said. That's what the Lord expects and that's what we want to do. He explained that to the disciples and he explained how that happened when he instituted the Lord's Supper. Notice Matthew 26 Beginning with verse 27. Uh, 
he, uh, he took the cup, he gave thanks, and he gave it to them saying, Drink ye all of it, for this is my blood of the New Testament, which is shed for many for the remission of sin. See, it's a cleansing agent that removes sin. And it is such a cleansing agent that it will remove all sin. There's no sin that Christ's blood can't take care of. There's no person that is just so bad in this world that they can't repent of those sins and give themselves to God and that sin be washed away. Now there are some people so bad in the world that they refuse to do that. But that has nothing to do with the cleansing agent. That has everything to do with that person. So without doubt, we're purified in the love of God because it cleanses. But that happens because He cares. If deism was true, and there's a doctrine out there, there are religions based on deism that there is a a higher power. uh, God did create the world, but what He did, He set everything into motion and then He just left us. He let us try to figure it out on our own. When When we die, we die. While we live, we live. It's just up to us. We do whatever we want to do. Is that the God we read about in the Bible? No, the God we read about cares for us. He provides for us. He gives us the things that we need. Paul charges the husband to love and to cherish his wife because no man ever yet hated his own flesh, but nourisheth and cherisheth it even as the Lord the church. He's given us everything we need. Matthew 6, 33, But seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and He will add unto you all these other things. God has seen our needs in this life, hasn't He? Just through general providence, we have all the things we need to live in this world. We have the the atmosphere. We have the possibility of, of growing food. We have clean water. We have places to live. We've been given the opportunity Uh, particularly in our nation, to work jobs and support ourselves. See, He's given us everything we need. And we need to, to be able to understand and to appreciate that. The Christian ought to follow that same example, right? James, uh, asked this question. James 2, beginning with verse 14. He said, What doth it profit, my brethren, though a man say he hath faith? And hath not works? Can faith save him? If a brother or sister be naked or destitute of daily food, and, and one of you say unto them, Depart in peace, be ye warmed and filled, notwithstanding you give them not those things which are needful to the body, what doth it profit? Even so faith, if it hath not works, is dead, being alone. Yea, man say that thou hast faith, and I have works. Show me thy faith without thy works, and I will show thee my faith by my works. What's he saying? Well, it's very clear. We are to have a love that cares for our brethren. Not just our brethren. We we do good unto all people when we have opportunity. Uh, Galatians chapter 6, right? But we need to demonstrate that love toward the truly needy when we have an opportunity, right? What if What if one of our brothers or sisters came to us and said, you know, something terrible has happened. Uh, they lost a home, they lost a job, their children don't have the food they need, they don't have the proper clothing, and and the church looked at that brother or sister and said, be ye warmed and filled, go on your way. Well, how, how are they going to be warm? They don't have the clothing. How are they going to be filled? They don't have food to eat. 
The church is to help them. The church is to help the truly needy. That doesn't mean we, we allow people to take advantage of us. A lot of people make a living that way. They go from church to church and they're asking money and they're, they're begging and, and they don't want to work a job. They don't want to be responsible. That's not what Paul's talking about. That's not what James is talking about. He's talking about helping the truly needy. We can help non-Christians. Paul told us that. But in this particular context, James is talking about our brethren. And so we need to be able to fulfill that work. But let's keep in mind again, 1 Timothy 5, 8, if one will not provide for his own, especially for those of his own household, he is worse than an infidel. It's not the church's responsibility to take care of my family. But it is the church's responsibility to take care of the truly needy when something happens, right? That could happen to any of us at any time. So how was it new? It was new because it was a sacrificing love. It was new because it was a purifying love. After all, didn't it take the focus away from one's love for self? Love your neighbor as you love yourself to focusing on the love that Christ gave to us. And now I'm going to focus on what He's giving to me right now. That's how I'm going to love someone. Are people supposed to love themselves? Sure they are. Sure they are. But some people don't love themselves. So how are they going to treat their neighbors? Love them as you love yourself? Well, they don't even love themselves. How are they going to love someone else? But if we focus on the love Christ extends to us, now we're going to love others as He loved us. His love becomes the source and standard for Christian love, right? He is the 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 measuring stick. And, and it was new because it emphasized the mutual quality of love. It is community building. It is community building. How often have we talked about different things in the world, particularly one time, uh, whatever the discussion we were having, we were talking about slavery, and everywhere the gospel has gone, slavery has ended because it unified the community. And that brings us to our third and final point. It is new because it is a unifying love. We are unified into the one body. And we all can be members of the one body. And every person has the opportunity because of the great love that Christ had. This new love that He talked about. Let's go back to Ephesus Ephesus, and, and listen to Paul continue his sermon. Ephesians 5, beginning with verse 30. For we are members of His body, of His flesh, and of His bones. For this cause shall a man leave his father and mother and shall be joined unto his wife and they too shall be one flesh. This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. So he uses an example we're all familiar with. You grow up in a family. When you get old enough, you get mature enough, you know how to love someone enough, you marry, you leave that family, you create your own family. You're joined together. You become one. That's how Christ and the church is. They're one. He loves us and we become a part of Him. We're baptized into Him. We become one flesh in the sense that uh, Paul is talking about here. So no longer would followers of God be separated by nationality, by tribe, or by any other thing. It's a unifying love. And we're unified into the one body. Isaiah prophesied that, Isaiah 2, 
2 through 3. We're going to go to the top of the mountain. We're going to listen. We're going to learn. We're going to become part of God's people. And on the day of Pentecost, Peter spoke the words of life when he demanded, Repent you and be baptized. Every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins and ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost for the promise is unto you and to your children and to all that are far off. He's talking about the Gentile nations. Later, Paul emphasized Christ's statement upon this rock I will build my church when he said there's one body, one spirit even as you all are called in one hope of your calling one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all, through all, and in you all. Ephesians 4, 4 through 6. His love is a unifying love. And that's what Jesus prayed for, John 17, isn't it? Now, here's something we've got to understand. When a person becomes a part of that one body, it's that individual's job to help build up that body, right? Christianity is not a spectator sport. It's not about coming and sitting in the pew. You know, we don't we don't want someone to get our spots, but we, we want to do more than just sit in the pew, right? Well, that's what Christ wants. Uh, the work involves every single member. When one person fails to carry out his or her Christian duty, the body becomes less than what it could be. The love of God for His church, and this is something we need to to make application to our own lives. The love of God for His church, it is tough. Is it always easy to love someone? No, it's tough. It's tough sometimes, isn't it? It's sometimes it's tough for wives to love their husbands, particularly if you're Andrea. It's enduring. You endure, right? That's what we learn from God's Word. It endures. Brethren, we are to endure with our love. It sees beyond human emotion and selfishness. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that something to to be glorified? It gives, it uplifts, it cares, it builds, and it unites. I think the psalmist said it best. Psalm 133, verse 1. Behold how good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. When we have this new love, that's about 2,000 years old now, we have what we need. And that's a wonderful love. When Jesus said love one another, I think He had in mind a sacrificing love, a purifying love, and a uniting love. Notice what that love does for us. Reflects Christ. Completes the law. Results in salvation. Is the evidence of Christianity. It is a demanded commandment. It is a response to God loving us. And it is available right now. Answer the invitation at this time. If you need.